I, um, I did put on some mascara this morning because I thought it is an emotional moment. So if I have mascara on, I won't cry. Uh, so if you hear, if you see sort of streaks down my cheeks, you'll know what's gone wrong. Um, this is indeed our last regional celebration with you uh, in Oxford. I'm sure we'll be back down at various points. In fact, I know we'll be back down at various points, but this is the last one while we're still living here. In August, we will be moving to the city of Leeds together with our family. Um, we've been here, I've been here over 30 years, Rich, nearly 30 years. Uh, it's a long time. <laughs> um, I have the uh, dubious distinction of being one of the first students ever to arrive in OCC back um, if I tell you, you'll be able to work the maths out, won't you? Um, and I didn't have a gap year either. Um, <laughs> I arrived in February 1985 at the Ferry Centre in North Oxford, where we were meeting at the time. Is there anybody still standing from February 1985? I thought there might be a few. Yes, I remember you, Jeremy, because you had a guitar strap that was a rainbow guitar strap. And you had... No? Well, I do remember your jacket... You did have a very flamboyant jacket, didn't you? <laughs> Student days, eh? <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> uh, so we've been here quite a long time now. We've raised a family here. Um, 15 guinea pigs, four hamsters, two dogs and a rabbit. Oh, and about three goldfish as well. So, yeah, it's been a fruitful time. Um, and, of course, we're good friends with a lot of you. And, yeah, well, um, keep the mascara in place. Um, okay, uh, we want to look at Colossians chapter 1. So if you've got it in front of you, it will come up on the screen. But um, Colossians chapter 1, um, verses 15 to 23. Does this come down at all? Or, um, I'm not quite tall enough for this, sorry. Uh, let me read this. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things on heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And it's entitled The Supremacy of the Son of God. And that's where we want to start, actually, and finish this morning. The Supremacy of the Son of God. Paul's really making a point here. Seven times in six of the verses, he uses the phrases, all things, all creation, everything. Let's just summarize the passage. This is what it tells us about Jesus. It shows us exactly what God is like. Jesus was God's son before God created anything. Jesus has the place of most honor. Jesus created everything and it was made for him. Jesus created all that we can see. He created all that we cannot see. 
He has the power that holds everything together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the life-giving force of the church. He is the first to rise from the dead and live forever. His first, he has first place in everything. He has brought back everything to God through the cross. Jesus is supreme. Jesus Christ is supreme. So we've got the title to boldly go this morning, but actually we want to suggest a slightly longer title, a better title, and that's this. We can boldly go because of the supremacy of he who accompanies us. We can boldly go because of the supremacy of he who accompanies us. As Andy said in his prophetic word, he walks beside us as we press forwards. So we have three points that we want to make out of this. I'm going to do the first one and Rich is going to do the second two. And that's this. Because of his supremacy and mission, he gets us there. He gets there before us and he gets results. He gets us there. He gets there before us and he gets results. Our eyes, as we do anything, as we contemplate anything for mission, are on Jesus, who is supreme. That's what we want to talk about this morning. So I want to talk about he gets us there. Jesus gets us there. You see, mission always involves movement. Mission always involves movement. You can't do mission standing still. It doesn't work. Nothing can be pioneered standing still. You can't move into empty spaces, which is effectively what mission is, by standing still. You have to move. Now, as we've said, we're moving to Leeds. I'm not necessarily talking about a geographical move house, move place. It might be that, but it might be equally where you are geographically, moving into something new, moving into maybe a new neighborhood, maybe just a new venture a new sphere, a place where God's, where you are not yet and God hasn't yet used you, an empty space that needs filling um, by the pro- proclamation of the gospel. So nothing can be pioneered by standing still. I've got a quote here by a guy called Thomas J. Watson. Uh, He was IBM's chief executive in the first half of the 20th century, and he oversaw the company's growth into a multinational company. And he said this, Once an organization loses its spirit of pioneering and rests on its early work, its progress stops. And I think sometimes that can be true of organizations, it can be true of churches, it can be true true of us as individuals as well. If we lose that spirit of pioneering, progress will stop. We have to keep that spirit of pioneering going. We have to ignite it if it's not already there. And if it's been there, we have to get it back somehow. We have to have that pioneering spirit. He wasn't right in everything, he said. In 1943, he apparently said, I think there's a world market for maybe five computers. Hmm. (laughs) might have got that bit wrong Um, the same can be said not just of organizations as I say but of people as well and one of the things that God spoke to us when we first thought about Leeds which was over a year ago now 
Um, we could sense that there was beginning to be a bit of a stirring, that God was prodding us and provoking us. And um, in true form, I'm sure lots of you have had the experience of actually God used Steve Thomas, uh, our senior pastor, <laughs> to, to give us a really good prod um, as he was saying something at a conference. And he said, the problem with pioneers is that they often pioneer once and then settle. And we thought, mm, uh, yeah. I think that's probably true of where we personally are at. Uh, We'd pioneered the work together with uh, others in a team onto the Lees starting in 2002. And we got to the point where we'd handed that on and we kind of stopped. And, you know, it was it was fine. There was purpose in 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 that period. But we got to the point of realizing that God was saying, actually, it's time to pioneer again. Um, And I wonder whether there are those of us among us who actually that is true for right now as well. Maybe you have pioneered something. Don't stop. Keep pressing on. Like Andy said uh, when he quoted from Philippians, keep pressing on towards the goal. It requires movement. It requires letting go of what's behind sometimes and pressing on towards the goal. It always requires movement. Um, The thing is, the movement, it needs to be specific and not theoretical. The call of God um, into whatever he's calling you to needs to be specific. So it's all well and good saying I have a vision to see, um, I want to deal with injustice, for example. But that's very vague and that doesn't actually move you anywhere. You need to be specific. God has called me to this because then specifics you can be accountable on. A vague vision you can't be um, the thing is that the, the vision bit is easy, actually, and the movement bit is challenging. It's often that God uses people as well in moving us. And maybe some of you have had the experience, I expect a lot of you have, where you come across somebody in your everyday life, in the course of life, and they, their circumstances move you to compassion. You know, maybe you meet somebody who you might normally not meet. Or maybe you're in a work situation that requires that. Um, maybe, yeah. And God does something through meeting those people. When, when we were first thinking about taking on the, um, the church plant into Blackbird Lees, um, one of the things that we were wondering about was whether we should move house. We lived in Cowley, so we, we only lived about 10 minutes away from Blackbird Lees. And we kind of thought, well, maybe that's okay because we're not very far away and that will be fine. But we began to pray and wonder whether God was speaking about actually moving on to the estate. And during that period, I had a couple of dreams, um, both of which were quite similar. I want to tell you about one of them. Um, in the dream, uh, we'd moved into this amazing house. I won't tell you where in Oxford it was, but it was lovely. It was was really nice. Um, It was so big and so palatial that it had a moat around it. You know, you could keep yourself to yourself, you know, put your feet up. It was great. Um, There was a bit of a problem with the moat, though, because the moat had made the walls go damp and moldy. Uh, You can see the prophetic sort of thrust of of that. Um, 
So I was sort of wrestling in this dream about, yeah, but there's this, but mm, that's not actually what God wants. Um, And then there was a voice in the dream. um, And the voice came from a a young girl who I'd met. I know who she is. She still lives on the Lees. Uh, She's grown up now. Um, And she said, um, we're hungry. Come over here. If you don't give us something to eat... No one will. And then I woke up. And it was clear God was asking us to move. And that um, actually we did go on to work with that group of girls uh, through the youth program. Um, That particular girl was touched by God. She was baptized. Um, Yeah, God moved us. And so some of you will have had encounters like that where you... You meet people and you think, God's after something in me meeting that person. They wouldn't know it. They they wouldn't know that they were part of that plan. If that's the case, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it because it's God speaking to you. So, mission involves movement, but movement is challenging. I was speaking to some of our fellow uh, team members who are coming with us to Leeds um, doesn't really take much to work out. That's Nathan Nestor over there. <laughs> Hi, Nathan Nestor. Uh, there's others among you as well. Um, but generally as a team, we were kind of feeling, golly, we're at the point where this is becoming a bit real now and we need jobs. Um, Dave's smiling over there. <laughs> um, we need jobs. We need houses. We need finance. Somehow we need flesh on the bones that we haven't got at the moment and that's very much where we're at as a team with Leeds. Um, We have a team of about 15 and most of us are looking for some form of job or finance to get us there and we haven't yet seen any specific jobs. We've got university places which is fantastic. We haven't seen any employment yet so if you fancy praying for us as a team we'd really appreciate that because that's the point of breakthrough that we're looking for next but it is a little bit like you're on a trapeze, you're a trapeze artist, and you're sort of swinging, and you're thinking, actually, what I really need to do is grab the next bar and swing and move, but there's that awful feeling, that awful moment when you're actually between swings and nothing's holding you up, and it does feel a little bit like that at the moment, and that's challenging. Another sort of image you could use is it's a bit like a plant being repotted, Uh, You know that God's moving you maybe to a bigger pot, maybe a different pot, different scenario. There's that horrible moment where you're going to get turned upside down and your roots are all exposed and it feels really vulnerable and horrible. If you're going to move in any way, shape or form, you have got to go through that transition point. You can't avoid it because you've got to get vision to actuality. You can't live on vision and do things on vision. It doesn't work. Vision propels us, but it doesn't get us there. And we need the movement to change vision into reality. Vision's easy, as I say. Movement is challenging. And this is the point where it's really easy to give up and get distracted. So I know that there are many of us here who have heard a call. They've heard something. They've got compassion in their hearts. And they're moving towards something. And I'd say, don't give up at the point where you start something and it feels horrible. (laughs) 
because that's usually what happens. It's a bit like climbing the mountain. You see it from afar. It's amazing. I'd love to be on the top of it. Fabulous. You get to the bottom and you think, maybe not. Maybe I'll go into the tea room and have a cup of tea and the weather's not very good anyway. So um, never mind, I'll give up. And, and it's a bit like that. You get to the bottom of it and you look up and that's the bit that looks really, really scary. Actually, that's also the bit where you can't see the summit usually. You, um, you lose sight of it. And I'd say, if you're in that situation, do not give up. Because you're just in transition, and you will grab hold of something else, and you will get into something new. Don't give up then. That will be a tragedy. Okay. Mission always involves movement, and yet movement is accompanied by and preceded by Jesus' presence with us. So in the Great Commission... I love the fact that as well as telling us to go, movement, Jesus says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And it's wrapped up together. It's a promise of Jesus that when we step out, when we move into an empty space for the sake of the gospel, Jesus says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And you see it often, don't you, in in the whole sweep of the Bible, when God's people or an individual are about to step out into something, when Joshua is about to lead the people, uh, when Jacob has his dream about the promised land, when the Israelites are about to go to war, it's very often then that God will remind people of his promise that he's going to be with them. Um, I love the story of Deborah. Um, And this is what Deborah says to Barak. She says, go, This is the day the Lord has given our enemies into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? And that's the point of the picture that we have up here. Um, I was walking in West Oxfordshire last week, and I went through a field very similar to this. It's beautiful at the moment, isn't it, with all the oilseed rape out. Um, What happens when you have a right-of-way through a field like this, and the farmer wants to sow it with a crop like oilseed rape, which is pretty high. It's about as high as I am. Um, What he has to do is he has to um, put some weed killer along the course of the path that's the right of way. I imagine it's probably a legal requirement to do something of the sort um, so that the path stays as a path while the crop grows either side. And I like to think that's a little bit like a picture of God goes before us into whatever our new fields are. It's not exactly like we have to just blaze away through something that we don't know anything about. The path is there, and Jesus makes the way. All we need to do is find it and walk on it. So mission always involves movement, but he who accompanies us gets us there. I just want us to think what the application for this for us is. As we hear God, we need to understand that whatever we're hearing in terms of mission will involve movement. It goes together. And we need to press through and fight for this. Rich. Brilliant. Okay. So, mission involves movement. But once you get there, what's it like? Well, I'd like to suggest this to you. That once you get there, once you get to the place that God is calling you to, you find that Jesus has already got there first. He's got there before you. 
He's supreme. He's in a different league. He holds everything together, as we've read in Colossians. He's involved in everything, if you like. He's got his fingers in all the pies. He's pulling all the strings. He's involved in everything. So when he promises to always be with us, he often means he's got there before us. He's waiting for us. And also, people are waiting for us. People that he's already been involved in their lives. People that he's been drawing close to. And I think if Kate has been talking about us seeing the vision that we feel God's saying to us become a reality, then this part is about us seeing a bigger reality. Seeing that God is already involved, changing our expectation, picking up that prophetic word, changing our expectation and looking for where he's already involved. Let me tell you a story to illustrate this. That picture there is uh, Piccadilly Circus in London on the 8th of May, 1945, VE Day. Amongst the crowd somewhere is a lady called Noreen. She was one of 26, that's two, six children in her family. They were a Catholic family. Uh, Dad was an alcoholic. Mum sadly couldn't cope. So one day takes the kids to London Bridge and starts throwing them off London Bridge. Two of them drowned. A guy jumped in and rescued somebody else and somebody else stopped her throwing the children in to the river. Her and her her, um, brothers and sisters were taken into care in the broadest sense of the word. She was uh, taken into um, a home run by some nuns and she she told me the story that uh, one day when her alcoholic dad came with her birthday present, the nuns wouldn't let her see uh, her dad. They waited until he'd gone, and then they called her into the mother superior's office and said to her, uh, this is the doll your dad has brought, me, brought you for your birthday. This is what we think of presents from fathers like that, and threw it in the fire. Despite all of that, she didn't lose that sense of wanting to find God. It didn't close her to God. She became a nurse, and during the war, one night she sneaked out from the nurse's accommodation, only to return to find that the, um, the nurse's accommodation where she was living had taken a direct hit, and all her friends were dead. But he didn't, she didn't close herself to God. She married, she had a son, her husband was abusive, and they married and in divorce, but that didn't close her to God. She met a widower who was struggling with alcohol. He was a war hero. He had fought at Dunkirk, where he'd knocked out five enemy tanks with a bedsheet. I won't tell you how he did it, but it was quite impressive how he did it. Uh, he was then fought in the desert. He was part of the long range of patrol. He fought with the SAS. He uh, fought behind enemy lines. He then fought in Sicily, Italy, before he was brought back home to land on the Normandy beaches on D-Day. And then he was wounded in France and went back home. An incredible guy. His name was Wally, but he was stricken by grief because he had lost his wife. He met Noreen. They got married, and she turned his life around. She was a quite a feisty lady. Wally told me once that they'd had a row, and as he turned his back on her, she hit him over the head with a frying pan and knocked him unconscious. 
She didn't bother to sort of call for help. She was a nurse. She checked he was still breathing and left him to wake up. And when he woke up, she said to him, that'll learn you. So this is, this is what Noreen was like. When they retired for, uh, in, in London, they moved to Oxford. And sadly, while he was getting, he was in his, his 80s when I met him, and uh, he was losing his sight. But he used to love to go fishing, and I go fishing. So a charity put me in touch with this guy, Wally, who I'd never met living on Blackbird Lees. And I went round, and we started to go fishing. And there I found Noreen and this lady who for all these years, and despite all she'd gone through, she was still open to God. Jesus had got there before me. In fact, he'd got there in her life before I was even born. That's what he's like. A few weeks later, Noreen tells me that uh, she's going to start coming along to my church. She doesn't sort of like ask, she just tells me that's going to happen and you don't argue with a lady with a frying pan, do you, sir? So she came along, and a few weeks after that, she gave her life to the Lord. For Wally, it was a little bit longer, him um, finding that friendship with God for himself. I remember driving once with him going fishing, and he told me the story. He said, you know what, Rich? I wake up every night, and I have one of two nightmares. And the two nightmares were about two things that happened to him in the war. And we talked about them, and I can remember praying with him about those things. The next Sunday, he gave his life to the Lord. He became part of the church, and I still remember uh, it was, was going to be Wally's 90th birthday. Now, he also had had a tough upbringing. His mum had died when he was little, and his dad also was an alcoholic. So he'd never had a birthday cake in 90, 89 years. So he decided, as a church, we would bake him a birthday cake. I still remember, I think Nicky, ba- Nicky Longmore baked him a birthday cake. And we had this big party on the Sunday with this big birthday cake, the first one he'd ever had in his life. Three weeks later, he phones me, all apologetic. Rich, Rich, I'm really sorry. And he just kept saying to me on the phone, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. And in the end, I said to him, well, come on, Wally. Whatever you've done, it can't be that bad. What are you really sorry about? He says, I've just found my birth certificate, and I'm only 89. <laughs> So the next year, we did the same thing again. (laughs) But the point of the story is this. That Jesus gets there before us. He gets there before us. I could have told you another story. I could have told you the story of someone like Maureen, who's in the the Leeds Church. She became a Christian one Easter Sunday, but Jesus was already working in her life. That was just kind of like the final bit of the journey. Simon, her husband, became a Christian at Transform. They have their eldest son, Jacoti, is going to get baptized. Jesus got there before us. And that takes me on to the next point. He doesn't only just get there before us. He's the one that gets results. The gospel works. Jesus is incredibly good at saving people. He not only takes our vision... And makes it reality. He not only helps us to see a bigger reality by getting there before us. He actually realizes the vision as well. He makes things happen. Paul was writing that letter to the church in Colossae as a prisoner. He was sitting there in Rome. It was probably about AD 60. And we know from the book of Acts and from what he wrote in the letters that it hadn't been easy. It had been tough. Him seeing the gospel going out to different nations had been tough. 
But earlier in that letter, he says this, that all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. And when he wrote his letter to the church in Rome, where he's now a prisoner, he tells them, you know what? The gospel isn't a formula. The gospel of God is all about his son. The gospel is not, the good news that we've got to share with people is not some formula like sin plus the cross plus repentance equals salvation. That is not the message we've got. The message is all about a person, Jesus Christ. It's all about a person who is the one who helps us to get there wherever we're going in mission, who's got there before us, and is incredibly good at breaking into people's lives and turning those lives around. It's all about him. The Old Testament all points to him. He's the heart of the good news, who he is, the supreme and exalted son of God, what he's done, that he's created and sustained all things, that he's come to earth to rescue people, that he's motivated by compassion, that he's given himself on the cross, and that he's been exalted through the resurrection. It's all about Jesus. And for Paul, this guy was not some historical figure. He's alive, and Paul had met him on the road to Damascus. And when he writes about the gospel, he's basically saying, and you can meet him too. And as Paul is sitting in, uh, in Rome, in prison, I don't know, maybe he's thinking back as he writes those words that all over the world the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. And maybe he can imagine a map a little bit like this one. This is the map which shows the spread of the gospel in the first 30 years of the history of the church. Through the spread, through the day of Pentecost, and then Paul's uh, missionary journeys as well. And even when the church is persecuted after Stephen's death, it spreads. Boom. That word comes to mind for me. Boom. Explosive growth. Jesus gets results. This is the start of the story of the unstoppable gospel. That's what that map is about. Pentecost, 3,000 saved. The next chapter in Acts, the healing of a, a lame man. It's now up to 5,000 men in the church. Stephen is killed. The disciples are scattered. Philip ends up in Samaria and uh, leads a revival there and then leads an Ethiopian unit to the Lord and he takes the gospel to another continent. Paul himself is saved. There are miraculous escapes, journeys, key churches planted in key cities. And, and the, Acts, the book of Acts ends with this. For two years, Paul stayed there. This is, he's in prison in Rome, in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The gospel is unstoppable. Boom. As I was preparing this, I was reminded... Uh, actually of my eldest son who talks about the word boom. He uses it quite a lot. He's that sort of guy. And um, I remember when he was three years old. And uh, in his, um, from his preschool, we had borrowed this video. Now, let me, let me sort of say, it, the best way of describing this video, it was a Christian video, was it was a sick bag video. You needed one of those sick bags you get in the plane, yeah? You needed one of those to watch it. It was, you know, nicer than Jesus, sickly sweet. It was horrible. And it was this story of Noah's Ark, but it was supposedly these animals. And the crocodile 
had decided that he wanted to be the king of the jungle rather than the lion. And the lion was a complete wimp. And for a while, let him. And I remember watching this video with Matthew. And there's one little good bit in it. And the one little good bit was the crocodile song when he's still bad. And his little song goes like this. I'm going to fight, fight, fight and win, win, win. And I remember watching this with Matthew and I turned to him at the end and said, Matt, which of the animals do you like the best? And he looks at me and says, I like the crocodile. I said, same here. Let's fight, fight, fight and win, 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 shall we? And forget the rest of that video. <laughs> fight, fight, fight and win, win, win. You know what? Something of that song needs to be our song. The gospel had incredible momentum in Paul's time. It was on the move. It was impossible to stop. That's still true. The gospel has incredible momentum. It holds out hope to lost people, as Paul says in that passage that we just read. It's a message about a supreme saviour and it's empowered by him. So Paul could write to the church in Rome, where he's now a prisoner, and say that he's not ashamed of the gospel. He's pride in it, of it. He's confident about it. He knows it works. He's confident. So if we're at the stage, we've moved to the empty space. We've begun to see where God is already working. Then I'd like to say to you, it's time for boom. It's time for breakthrough. It's time for us to fight, fight, fight and see him win, win, win. That's what the gospel is all about. So as we finish, we can all boldly go because of the supremacy of he who accompanies us. He's with us. He gets us there. He gets there before us. He gets results. We'd like to pray. We'd like to pray for people as we finish. We want to pick up those prophetic words that came out early, earlier. We want to pray for Jesus, the supreme one, to break through in mission with us and through us. That's what we want to see. Remember, firstly, mission always requires movement. But he gets us there. We need to see, we need to press through and see him break through. If you've derived at that place, the place he's calling you to, then we need to see where is it that he's already working? Where are the doors that he's already opening? Where are the people that he's already drawing close to? Where's he already working? We need to see breakthrough as we get there. And then once we're there and we're starting to see that, then we need to remember, he's the one that gets the results. He's the one that makes the gospel go boom. And we need that unstoppable gospel to break through. As the supreme saviour holds out hope, the hope that only he can hold out to people. So as we finish, I wonder if I could ask the band to come back, please. Uh, we're going to sing a song and we'd like to pray. We'd like and when we pray, you know, Kate and I are going to be praying. When we pray, we're not just praying for you guys. We're praying for ourselves as well. Kate's talked about where we're up to with our move to Leeds. God wants to raise our expectations, was the, one of the prophetic words that came down, out earlier. He wants to take down those walls 
of lack of expectation that we've let be built up. He wants to take those down and for us to see things in a completely different way. He doesn't want us to settle for less, he said to us earlier. He wants us to press on, push on, and he's pushing on with us. So we'd like to invite you to come forward as, we, uh, as the band starts to sing this song. If you feel that God is stirring your heart about a move, now it may not be a ge- geographical move, it may be. Maybe coming to Leeds, that's fantastic. But um, it may be a geographical move, it might not be. But it's some sense that I need to move somehow to get into that place of mission. And I need God to help me to bring that breakthrough. If you feel, you know what, that's me, then we'd love to pray for you this morning. If you feel, actually, I've got to this place already where I know God's calling me, but I need to see what he's doing, the doors that he's beginning to open, the people that he's beginning to draw close, or he's already been doing, where he's got there before me, then we'd love to pray with you for breakthrough for that, for you to be able to see those things. And if you feel, you know what, I'm at that place, I'm seeing him do stuff, but I need to see this unstoppable gospel breakthrough And for Jesus to get results and do what only he can do in offering hope and transforming lives. Then we'd love to pray for you for that as well. For breakthrough for that. So as the band plays, if if you're one of those people, you think, you know what, I'm in one of those three stages in the mission that I feel God is calling me to. Then why don't you come to the front and we'll pray as we finish.